On this week's episode of Trackback, I'm joined by Farah McNutt, a lovely lady and a digital entrepreneur who uh, is the founder of Catch a Thief UK. Now, Farah has a history of stealing from different shops and uh, her experience um, in her youth has inspired her to set up this company called Catch a Thief, which um, prevents um, more uh, crimes like this from happening. Farah is trying to install London telephone boxes and turning them into safety pods for anybody who finds themselves in a dangerous situation. Farah was incredibly influential to talk to. It was great to hear about how her experiences um, when she was young really inspired her to make a difference. And guys, please, um, you know, support Farah's venture. It was incredible uh, to hear about it. And we should give her our support um, for what she is trying to accomplish in London and in all other cities across the UK. If you want to give us your opinion uh, on the show, then uh, follow us on Instagram at trackbackpod and give us an email at trackbackpodcast at yahoo.com. But... Tune into this. It's Farrah McNutt. So um, before we start the show, I want to, you know, give a quick shout out to um, Joe Rogan, who's my fellow podcast uh, sensation. I want to give a quick shout out to him because um. We all know that you're getting a bit rusty and I just want to send a quick message out to say that a new sensation has arrived. His name's Cal Mack. That's me. I'm on my way to knock you off your pedestal. So remember that if you're listening in, Joe Rogan. But anyway, I'm joined by the lovely Farah McNutt. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yourself? Fantastic. Now, Farah uh, is a uh, entrepreneur and she founded the website Catch a Thief UK, uh, which I completely dig. I've got to be honest, I really like it. Um, so Farah, to start off the show, um, I want to ask you about your beginnings because we like you became a digital entrepreneur at 20 years old, which is amazing. But I want to I want to start off, you know, before that. I want to I want to ask you what life was like for you growing up, you know, when it comes to crime. What was it like in the area that you were growing up in? Um, you know, when you were, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. What was it like for you at that time before you started doing all this amazing stuff? Um, so when I was 13, um, I'm from a town in Cambridgeshire. And when I was 13, I got in the completely wrong crowd. Um, I was hanging around with quite violent thugs, shoplifters. Um, I got in quite a bit of trouble myself, uh, running away from home all the time and everything like that. So I was I was kind of in it. I seen everything that was going on. I seen how the criminals were working. I seen I seen a lot more than a 13 year old should have seen. Um, and I suppose that's what pushed me in this direction. It, it's it's amazing, you know, um, how at that young age, you're seeing all of this stuff going on. You know, it it must have been so, you know. Uncomfortable at that age to see all of that stuff going on. Yeah, well, it's it's uncomfortable to see it going on now, but obviously at that age and that it's you kind of feel like it's the right way because you're you're looking at the peers, you're looking at the older ones. That's what they're doing. That's the way they're living. So it kind of seems like that's the way adults live. It's the normal. It was normal to me that the surroundings I was in was just completely and utterly normal. Absolutely, and I mean, you look at it now. At, 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 the age you are now I mean do you understand it more than you did back then 
you know it, 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 it like do you resonate more with it now yeah so I was very naive back then obviously um being 13 you you are anyway you think you're older but you know you're not <laughs> so I was very I was very naive in that back then so looking back I was able to see how bad it was like how even the way the adults were and everything you know they're why would they have a 13-year-old in their house? You know, they're all 19, 20-year-olds and that. Why would they have a 13-year-old in their house while they're all doing drugs and everything like that? They just don't make sense either. Yeah, so it's then we've got a target as well, the people that, you know, are selling the drugs and everything. It's not going to fix itself without yeah. taking them parts as well. And yeah. we've got to show, we've got to show youths as well. That's not normal, you know. The way to live normally and communicate normally and everything like this, uh, you know, it's got. We've got to show that there's a change. You know, uh, we've got to help. You've got to help them. We've got to help them to uh, to introduce a way of living um, that they've they've never seen. I never seen a normal sort of life, a working family, or all that. I never seen none of that. I never seen functional people. <laughs> so. You became a digital entrepreneur at 20 years old. But I mean, Farah, I mean, at 20 years old, I mean, that's such a young age still, you know, you're not really you, you didn't reach adulthood yet. So it's, it's a very young age. But, you know. What made you feel like you wanted to get into the whole digital platform um, before we go into, of course, you setting up um, Catch a Thief UK. I mean, what attracted you to the digital world at such a young age as well? Was it something that you were th that? you were always kind of interested in at a young age or was it a, when you were growing up you started to get attracted more did social media you know play a factor into all of that when I was quite younger I didn't really have social media let alone more than that didn't really have internet or anything like that so it weren't something that I used quite often it was something that I always wanted to get my hands on like I had I had phones and that but you know back then phones were not how they are now you couldn't just go on YouTube or something like that your iPhone. <laughs> yeah so it was kind of it was kind of as I got to around about 18, I sort of wanted to change my life. I wanted to change everything around um, me, everything that I had seen. I'd started seeing how, you know, how everything was affecting society. I did a lot of research on that, on what sort of crimes are affecting them and everything like this. I spoke to quite a few people and I suppose that's what helped me out as well as um my partner in that as well he he pulled me out of a right hole back then and you know he, sh he showed me a showed me a lot the way the way I, you know I could show my potential and you decided then to set up Catch a Thief UK I've been looking at this website it's amazing um what you're doing with this I really really like it um so you set it up in um 2014 um, so let's look at the early stages into that. Let's look at the, the, the beginnings of Catch a Thief UK. What was that? What was the first sort of message you wanted to send out from this website? What was your first goal um, before even submitting it to the um, social media world? What did you want to gain from this venture? I wanted to show shoplifters that they are being recorded. There is CCTV in place. Um, my goal was obviously to bring a better life for myself and my family and that as well. So 
that was my goal. I wanted to live a different life. I wanted to live a different way and I wanted to help the community instead of the way I was living. Now, when you first set up Catch a Thief UK, what was what was your community like at that time? Um, do you feel like it, you started it at the right time? Was there a lot going on in the community and you felt, OK, now is that now is the right time to really, you know, spearhead this um, to start helping people and to prevent the stuff that was going on? So I do think I started at the right time because I seen I seen a different side and that I was living in Leicestershire at the time and that as well. So I was on a really, really quite rough estate. Um, we're seeing quite quite a bit going on, so it was kind of the right time. But for retailers and businesses, it was a bit too early still because they were still unsure on the CCTV what they was allowed to do, what they wasn't allowed to do. You yeah. know, GDPR helped speed this up now because um, it was Data Protection Act, and I think everyone was just mind boggled by that. And they were like, "Are you doing it okay?" Or, you know, are you with the law and everything like this? But I'd already spoken to police. I'd gone through the Data Protection Act, so I knew what I was doing was okay. Yeah. So I just had to, I just had to show them that it was okay. And like I said, GDPR in 2018 helped speed catch people up. Now, a statement that I came across um, when I was doing my research on you, Farah, was in 2014 when you first set up Catch a Thief UK, there was almost 3.3 million shoplifting offences that were left unreported. Um, how did that make you feel? I mean, that's quite a shocking figure, isn't it? Knowing that all of these criminal acts have been going on, 3.3 million, that's a crazy amount. I mean, did that frustrate you knowing that people, like all those people, if it was those 3.3 million people, that, if that statement is accurate, why didn't any of those 3.3 million people, you know, report what was going on? I was shocked on the sheer number of it, but... Because, like I said, because I was kind of living that and that I seen how many people got away with it. I know that there was, you know, some of uh, the people I was hanging around with went out daily and hit the town. Every single shop, they, they took like hundreds from the town daily. Nothing. There was nothing done about it. No CCTV or anything like that was was even used as evidence. And, you know, a lot of the time when I did talk to the police when we first um, set up and that, they just said they just haven't got the resources or time to investigate it. So if it's under a certain amount or, you know, also stores as well, they just haven't got the resources to download the evidence and that. And because there's a block between the stores and the police's communication, it was it's hard for them to report and get feedback back and everything like this. They just felt like it was a waste of time, which a lot of um, them have said. But, you know, going back on what you just said, how do you think that will impact the public? If the police come and say, oh, sorry, we haven't got time for it. We don't think it's not a use of our time. Surely that really will frustrate the public because they want their communities to be safe. They want to you know, feel like they could, they will be safe going into a shop or walking on the streets. I mean, surely that is that that would really frustrate them if 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 they actually hear the police saying that. Yeah, it's it's really disgraceful. It really is. It's um so a lot of the time the public don't realise as well when people shoplift and that it pushes up the prices of the 
other items and that you know if if the company's losing so much money to shoplifters they've got to incorporate that back so they push up the prices of your goods and that that you're buying as well so it's pushed on the onto the innocence you know and independent stores are majorly affected as well you know we work with um, a lot of independent stores and their that's their livelihood you know they have to let staff members off and everything like this if you know our staff actually lose their livelihood because of shoplifters which is absolutely disgraceful as well it's you know I didn't know the severe impact that shoplifting had until I did the research and yeah, no one educated me in that and this is what's important is educating the youths as well on what the impacts are if I knew that it was impacting our community in the way it was well you know I would have I would have been a different because it would have been it would have been something that everyone looked down on and everything but people don't know they just think oh business got insurance that's fine we can we can rub it off the businesses they've got insurance don't realize they can't claim off their insurance for half of the time so they're losing money out of their pocket that they're paying staff for and you know what's really interesting as well when we look into the psychology of of a shoplifter what, what goes through their mind when they're when they're you know thinking about going in and, and committing this act i mean when you're looking at shoplifters i mean yes it, it, there are a lot more youths shoplifting I mean, it, it's common as a youth to be a shoplifter, but I mean, there is a lot more shoplifters at older ages as well that do it. But when you're looking into their, you know, into their minds, knowing why, why do they do this? I mean, as part of Catch a Thief UK, have you, have you really looked into why you think shoplifters do what they do? So um, there's lots of other um, reasons. We had a homeless guy that come in and he stole a sandwich and a Red Bull. And, you know, a few times he'd been in and just stole a milkshake and a little sandwich here and there. Um, the retail store had sent us the footage. We rang the retail store because we're not about condemning people. We want to educate people. We want to get to the source. We want to stop the problem. We don't want to just mask it and condemn people all over the place. So um, we we asked them, like we said, we're not going to put it on the website um, at the moment. Obviously, if he was kept coming back and reoffending, then uh, well, we would put it on the website, sorry. But um, with that one, we said, look, give them a, a service list. So we put all the food banks in the area. We put all the um, help and support there, the shelters and stuff like that. So we gave them a list. The customer let him sit down you know even gave him the sandwich and that way he sat down made all the phone calls and everything like that he made the phone call and you know that person has not bothered that shop once again since they've done that and that's because they they reached out and helped instead of just condemning and you know you look at let's say shopkeepers do you think before catch a thief uk really came along and started helping people and and to educate people on on shoplifting and 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 street crime do you think before that, do you think that shoplifters were always quick to condemn these people? But now, once they learn what you guys do and seeing the impact that you've had on somebody that did shoplift have kind of swayed their sort of views on the situation? 
Yeah, definitely with the drug situation, that with the drug services and that we've um, definitely tried to push that way as well because drugs is a major problem, you know, like you said, uh, you know, you wonder what's going through people's minds and that with drugs, all that's going through their mind is getting that goods to make that money. That's all that's going, they're so determined to get their drugs. So that's what gets them in and out as quick as possible because they don't want to be seen or anything like that. So drugs is a big one that we try to help with um and stuff like that but it is about showing the community who is shoplifting as well so it's preventing them we want them to see themselves on the website and know that the cctv is in place and it has watched you do that and speaking of cctv since the inception of catch a thief uk how has the progress of money being put in by the government um for cctv been has it improved or has it declined well like since catch a thief it hasn't approved uh, improved but the last year they have just announced that they've put another 25 million into cctv safer streets fund it's right. called yeah. uh, but it's in cctv and lighten that's the first time i've heard about a massive um, injection into that fund and that does you know raise your spirits a lot knowing that you know the, the improvement is coming there is improvement and it, does it make you feel that yes okay my work is starting to really you know pay off with this well the deterrent side's always been there like as soon as we started and we first got our members we done trials and everything like that shoplifting dramatically uh, dropped in these stores yeah and this was this was something that obviously stores grabbed, uh, grabbed a hold of. They'd realised this, you know. I've just had another sign-off um, for someone in London in September. And since they put the warning signs off and everything, they've had no shoplifting at all. So it's it's about um, detecting and preventing and, identif- and di- identifying crime. So shop theft has caused the UK economy 603 million each year. Catch a Thief's goal is to lower this figure with each year of your growth. Since 2014, how has that been? Um, I don't think we've got enough stores on board as of yet to um, to put into that figure, to be fair. But, but I have there, is a, there is a growth. There is a growth going, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, there is a growth there, but obviously as we're getting more and more um, attention on everything as well, it will it will have an impact there. But we're we've got so little stores compared to the amount of stores that are out there that we just wouldn't have an impact on that figure as of yet. But if you look forward, I mean, I, I know it's kind of far off at the minute, but you look forward yeah. to that number, 603 million. What do you think you can do in the future to get to that figure? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, um, well, we obviously stopping the crime and preventing it. That's most important. Um, I think we'd be able to do a high figure. With what statistics we have in the stores, we have, like I said, we've significantly reduced um, crime there and it will significantly impact that number um, in the future so i i will look forward to seeing what it is to be honest with you yeah i'm really looking forward to it too um i'm going to mention the prince's trust to you now um because they did sponsor you they, they have come and sponsored you how did all that come about oh the prince's trust is absolutely amazing um i had a mentor um called Paul Marriott, he, he was amazing as well. Well, he still is, he, he still talks to me and everything. So 2015, um, 
I got in contact with someone at the Prince's Trust and it's just like, would this be something you could help with? And they got in contact back. They put me on a uh, media and marketing course with Talent Match, which was lottery funded, uh, but it was part of the Prince's Trust as well. So it was kind of a split off, if you like. Um, they put built my confidence up, got me talking uh, right. Because, you know, like I said before, I didn't talk like this. I was a bit street slang, if you like. So I said, in it. <laughs> All right, Vlad. <laughs> those sort of things so I sounded like I don't, I don't even want to go what it sounded like I'm, I'm not going to say Vicky Pollard not Vicky Pollard <laughs> probably though embarrassing <laughs> but um they helped me with that and they really they really pushed me they put me behind the cameras they got me you know um, prepared for it and then after that um I was writing my business plan and everything with them as well so they were pointing me in the right direction I was talking to the right people um and they they turned around as well and put a £1,500 in a community grant so it wasn't even like a loan I didn't have to pay it back it was a community grant and that was to get me my laptops and my computer programs that I needed to start it and you look you look at your inception 2014 if this happened in 2015 what a growth in that one year it's 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 such an achievement well it was only for November 2014 as well so it was November like right, 2014 right. in those months in like that, that's an incredible rise in such a short time yeah it was and it still is um, as it's going forward as well we did a lot of trials and that so we didn't actually do anything with um, proper customers until 2017 once we trialed obviously got our name out was talking to people, the right people and everything like that and then we started getting our first customers in 2017 then, as I say, after the GDPR in 2018 come out and people realised that this was OK, you know, I had to persuade a lot of people that this was OK before the GDPR come out. But they, they realised themselves they was able to read it and understand it. And when they realised it was OK, a lot more has been coming on. Now, London, it's a huge city. There's so many districts of London. It's such a bit. It's, it's our capital city. There's a lot of things that go on in London. And we know that it has a long history of street crime. Um, it's, it's, it's no secret, London has a big problem for street crime um, when it comes to um, uh, murders by guns, murders by knives, you know, it, it's all happening in London. Um, so you um, have put a proposal about um, using the unused telephone boxes uh, in London uh, to turn them into digital safe pods. Fantastic idea, Farah. I really like that. Honestly, I think that's brilliant. But before we go into that, why do you think that these telephone boxes are not being used by the public? Why, why are they, you know, on the decline? Mobile phones. It's got to be mobile phones. Yeah, Everyone's absolutely. got a mobile text message, everything like this. So, you know, a lot of youths trash them or even older people, to be fair, drunk people down the street can't just blame youths all the time. There is older people that sit there and urinate in them and destroy them as well. Um, so they just run down and no one's maintaining them at the minute. I think BT saying the maintaining cost is quite high to them and for what they're getting as well, they're not getting as much as it was. And I think that's why they're doing the adopter kiosk scheme. But just such an iconic image of London and England as well. You know, the phone boxes, there's such an iconic image of our culture. And it, it, it is sad to see them go to use, but not for much longer because of, um, you know, the work that you're putting into them. So tell me, Farah, about these digital um, uh, safety pods. What, what, what was the idea behind that? 
So I'm, I've got a, um, another platform called Public Appeals UK, which is all for the public, you know, catch fees for the business and, um, and for the public to help as well, uh, where the public appeals is for the public if crime happens to them. And on that page, I was getting a lot of feedback about crime rising, you know, definitely violent crimes. And with the news stories that I've seen as well going alongside, a lot of people were saying that they carry pepper spray on them or, you know, they're, they're not worried about carrying at all or something like this. This is older generation as well, old people, you know, they're saying, oh, I'll fight them off and stuff like this. And you're like, but what would you seriously do in that situation? Like, because you know, you, you may end up being in trouble because you've defended yourself with something that's classed as a weapon, like pepper spray, and that's classed as an actual weapon. So, you know, if you're carrying that on you, then that can get you in trouble instead of the person that attacked you. So there's got to be other ways. And, you know, I've been trying to think of so many different uh, ways, and, you know, a lot of the ways I tried to do, it was kind of like, like, um, I thought of some ways, I won't say, but I thought of some ways and I spoke to a few people and found out that them ways weren't allowed or anything like this. So I had to think of other ways. And one of them, um, the story got me with a knife crime. Yeah, and the person was running down the street and that um, with the knife, it was a solicitor um, in London. He'd gone to his shop or something um, for his mom and he'd, He'd met his friend there and there were some youths around the corner and they ended up chasing them both with a knife um, and they caught up with them and stabbed them. Yeah, and the, the solicitor ended up dying and the uh, mate was really in hospital in a serious condition. He, he, he pulled through, but the solicitor, obviously, um, he died. And that was a story that really got me. You know, there needed somewhere to be a, someone to escape to. The, you know, if he had somewhere that, that was safe around there where he could escape to and get away, why he waited for help? You know, that them stories, they, they really affect me and that because there's more that can be done. Absolutely. And that led into the, um, a quote that I'm going to read that you said, Farah. Um, your idea of um, if they're in a situation like that, of um, when they feel that their life is being threatened, they would go to one of these uh, telephone boxes or um, the safety pod and they would open the door, close it, automatically locks it and triggers 999. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, if this idea was to go ahead, which I really hope it does, because I think that it's a fantastic way to, you know, to, to, to make feel someone feel protected. I mean, how, how can we go about, you know, doing all of this? I mean, will, I mean, how are the police you know, do you think that they will be on board with the idea? And of course, the funding as well to, you know, implant, um, to, you know, put the locks in and, and, and these and these windows, um, which are which are safety protected. How can you work around the funding on that? So we are doing crowdfunding at the moment. I'm doing raffles and that for fundraising. There's also government pots available, you know, for safer, like the safer streets, because um, we will have CCTV on them as well, on the inside and outside that will link live to a yeah. control room. In what so, you call, um, um, in what you call um, eyes on the ground. Eyes on the ground, yes, because they're the police's eyes on the ground before they get there. They're able to say, yes, the suspect's still there. He's kicking off what he's doing and that before they get there, if he's, if he's armed or, you know, got a knife or anything like that. So they're, they're important in this as well. Um, so there's all, all them sort of fundings. There's PCC funding available, which I'll be getting through. Obviously, we're waiting to hear who the PCCs are at the minute with the election. Yeah, of course, so the election. I've been yeah. holding back. But we did actually um, have a shop owner that turned around and said that we can use his phone box um, in 
Birmingham though. Yeah, so there's a Birmingham phone box now, but it's missing a door at the moment. So we've got to get a door and we still haven't raised enough to make it. So the automatic locking doors, we've already got a company um, that's providing that. We've already got a company that's providing all the electronics and everything and doing all them parts. Um, and we've also got companies um, such as you know, doing the telecommunication part as well, but and the screens as well, because we're going to put um, adverts on them to keep them maintained and the live monitoring guys paid. We obviously need to put some adverts or something to make some money to put, keep them maintained. And I mean, have you gone out and, and, and talked to the public, maybe shop owners, maybe people on the streets in general? Have you talked to them about the idea and how has their response been to it? Has it been, you know, widely supported? Have you had any detractors about the idea? So we have had a few people obviously questioning a lot of things. Most of the um, comments and everything I get is amazing, great. This is, I want to support you. I have three boys and I know how it feels and stuff like this. So, you know, a lot of them um, have been supportive, but we have had a few people that's asked questions um, like, oh, the youths will just ruin it, like I mentioned before, or they'll just urinate in it, or, you know, what about a fire? But uh, fire phone boxes are already fireproof. Um, it's a known fact that, that uh, well, I was very advised that it's a known fact that um, they were made for public use already fireproof, so cast iron and that is already, and we'd have to put bullards in so, you know, they can't be crashed into or stuff like this. So there's quite a big um, price tag to it, but it would it would get cheaper as we went along. Yeah. So to begin with, obviously with trial errors and everything like this as well, because we're going to have to make sure the door opens and locks. There's a lot to think of um, to make sure the safety of that person inside. And you mentioned as well, you're a mother of three boys. No, I'm not. Sorry, that was other people that supported me. I've got a little boy who's uh, 11. Oh, little boy that's 11. Um, yeah. As well, um, would you say that he as well is an inspiration behind your drive to really make the street safer? Because you don't want your your son to be in that sort of danger. You know, you don't want him to, you know, come face to face with this horrendous crime that's happening on our streets. So would you say he was an inspiration behind the drive to make Catch a Thief UK, you know, a force to be reckoned with and to get this change implemented as soon as possible with these telephone boxes? Oh, absolutely. He was one of the reasons I wanted to change my life and make it better for him and for um, everyone around me as well. He's, um, I'm quite scared when, if he goes out by himself or anything like this, like he hasn't done that yet. He's like 11. So he's quite naive. And I was very streetwise at them sort of ages, but he's, he's not very streetwise, if you like. He's not he don't know the ins and outs of all the badness in the world or anything like that. And I suppose I've shown him bits, you know, what the work I'm doing, he knows about the bits of them, but I don't want to show him the cruel reality of everything. And it worries me that like, you know, just around the park, there's loads of teenagers that hang around at nighttime. You don't know if them teenagers are carrying knives or anything like yeah. that, you know, straight after school, they're hanging around there. I'm not letting him go to the park on his own in case he, you know, something happens. But, you know, we're talking about youths, how so many youths are getting arrested these days for multiple different crimes. Is there more schools can do about them to, to educate youths about the dangers of, of this? I mean, you, you, you're imagining a school scenario in, in, in a class with, you know, someone coming in, maybe a police officer coming in to teach youths and, 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 and children 
um, from 11 to 17, um, about the impact that knife crime has on society, you'd think that the message would be, you know, hit hard home. But obviously, that doesn't seem to be happening right now, because a lot of youth that are coming out of school are getting into trouble with stuff like knife crime. They're not relating to the youth. This is what it is. You've got to relate to them and that. Like, if a copper walked in, you know, with this sort of lifestyle I was living and that, you think I'll be listening to that copper or anything like that. He's not relating to me. He's talking down to me at the age of 13 or whatever. He's he's not talking one-on-one -on -one like he would an adult or anything like that. He's talking down to you. He's making you... Um, He's trying to push their values onto you, if you like. It's not, it's about making the youths go through their transformation journey. So they need to go through a journey where they can be educated and transform in their time. You know, if someone's getting in a lot of trouble and they're getting arrested every weekend by police and they're like 30, the police should start be looking and thinking, well, there's something wrong here. But instead, they just rather put them into court, deal with them, and then put them back out. They're not getting to the source of the problem. It's, they need educating, but in educating in a way they can understand, like, you know, I've got little brothers and sisters and that as well. And, you know, sometimes I can't relate to them because I'm not their age or something like that. So I try my best to get onto their level and relate to them in their way and help them transform to who they want to be as well. And um, we speak about the police um, and we've talked about a lot during this um, this episode, the fact that before you set up Catch with the UK, they weren't really interested in, you know, sorting out this issue. What can be done? What can the police do? More officers on the streets, um, maybe a, a youth supporting officer that can, you know, do um, talks at local um, community centres. Is there some, what else can the police do? Because obviously right now, crimes have raised with the coronavirus. There's been a lot more crimes um, a lot of hate crimes as well towards uh, people of Asian descent. Um, so there's been a lot of crimes with the coronavirus. So what, and, and it seems to be youths, it seems to be you, this, youths are the center of everything happening. So what more can the police do to stamp this out? Maybe post the restrictions getting lifted. Maybe that's the time once the whole thing with coronavirus dies down or should they be doing more even when we're in a lockdown? Well, the problem is with this is one, the police need more funding to be able to put officers on the street. They're putting as much officers as they can, they're saying, um, on the streets uh, with the funding that they're getting. So it relies on the system at the end of the day. The CPS and that, you know, the police are arresting people and that, and then the CPS are prosecuting or taking to court or stuff like that because it's not a high enough value, like it's £50. It's going to cost them £240 to keep that person in overnight. Let's say that was how much it was back in... 2016 I think it was and it was 240 pound um if someone nicked a bag of chewing gum to keep them inside yeah in a cell or something like that and then it costs the court case and everything like that which is obviously more cost to the system so they're seeing the 50 pound as not worth outweighs the cost to the investigation so there needs to be a change in mentality like that like that person's done a crime but at the end of the day if he's done a crime then they should be investigating it no matter what yeah, so there's obviously them parts, but on the way, on relating to the um, the youngsters and that, they need 
they need to get through to the adults first that are persuade, persuading yeah. these youngsters. They need to get stop the drug dealers that are, are forcing them to um, run the drugs. Well, they they would That's say nice. they're not forcing them, but they are forcing them no matter what. If they're persuaded them that it's the right way or they're not, they're still forcing them to do it because it's not something they do off their own back because they're only, they're only kids. So it's it's a change in mindset in that sort of way, and it's ne police need to crack down on them higher higher people and stuff like this. They they need to take the they need to stop glamorizing it. That's what it is. It's glamorized. Like it's like it's a nice way to live. This is the way to live. If you're not living this way, then you're not really living. That's not that's not right. And do you believe as well that county lines, drug dealing, big problem over the past year, has that provided a challenge um, to catch a thief, would you say? Or do you say that the ongoing situation has provided that challenge? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, um, I would say county lines, no, I would actually um, completely because a lot of the people obviously that do shoplift is shoplifted for drugs and the people behind them drugs are the county lines, they are the people that, the drug dealers and that do not care about them, you know, they, people think drug dealers are my friends and that, they, they give me tick, they do this and that, they're not your friends, at the end of the day a friend you would not give you something, you know, yeah. to get them the money yeah it's it's, yeah. it's everybody knows it you know everybody knows it and it's it's become a recurring problem and we need to do more to protect our children from being infested with this evil um and 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 it's it's kind of like they take everything from these children they isolate them from their friends from their friendship circles from their families until they've got nothing left there has to be something to stop this no, absolutely. I'm with you on this. Um, there has to be something. And there, there is more investigation into it, yeah. They start getting the more street drug dealers. Well, you know, I know they sit there and do the investigations and they want to watch the street drug dealers, yeah, because they want to get the bigger fish. Take the street drug dealers down. Let the, you know, without the employees in a, in a store, without the employees, the store, the office can't work without the employees it seems to be with the county lines whole um organization it seems to be you know if you have a, a child who's drug dealing to one person it seems to be a higher authority a higher authority a higher authority there, uh, there seems to be many the ranks you know it seems to be the rank so i mean do they work their way up the rank or do they just go for the top dog taking um take that person out and it all crumbles they try, yeah. They try and get to the biggest fish that they can get to. So the biggest, um, the person they can lead it back to the most with the evidence. That's who they will take it back to. Um, obviously, and that that sort of starves the uh, supply, if you like, and because that starves the supply, that sort of fizzles them out. But then someone just comes and sits in their seat. That's the problem. Someone comes and sits in that person's seat. Why, why are drugs getting in the country in this day and age anyway? At the end of the day, we've got enough technology and everything out there. Why are drugs getting into this country? Absolutely. And finally, Farah, um, for the future of Catch Thief UK and, and, and your work, what would be the three things on your agenda that you want to accomplish in the next year? Safer streets, a more solid communities together, and more education around the um, around the way crime affects people and the way out of crime and 
more uh, oh i've done my three but more opportunities i was going to say that Absolutely. one i got four and for people that are listening into this episode and want to learn more about um safety on the streets and how to you know help our youth have you got any websites that they can look at to get educated more on this subject um i've got a page on catch thief uk it's a help and advice page um I do believe there's quite a few links on there and they may include the education side because there's there's something that we want to do um, with this as well. And it's something, you know, um, that we're passionate about as well is getting the youths out of crime and helping to do, uh, prevent crime instead. You know, a lot of them have got the sense up here to be able to prevent the crime and that they will get the same sort of feeling out of it to what they do doing the crime. So. It, it will give them a self-worth and help them to transform who, the, who they're into. And I know there's other charities out there as well, um, which I have got on. I can send you a link of that if you want. That would be and great. I'll... That would be great. Um, but anyway, um, Farah, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really hope that um, what we've been talking about really resonates and raises awareness of what's going on currently uh, in our country and that we can bring a community together and, and to stop and to save our youths from... Um, you know, getting in trouble and to, you know, as well with drugs and all the other crimes that are going on uh, in the country so far. But I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. And of course, if you want to catch this episode, it will be up on Spotify very soon. Give us a review. Tell us what you thought. That will be much appreciated. Uh, Farah, thank you so much for appearing on the show. It's been great having no, you. Thank you for having me. Thank it you great so much. To you. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>